0: Welcome to church this morning. You may have worked out, if you haven't already, that we uh, that we didn't pay the power bill. So we're... Uh, no, it's not true. It's not true. Come on. It's Father's Day. We're allowed dad jokes today. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for joining us. If you're a visitor amongst us, if you're travelling or you're with family, welcome. Welcome. Uh, We hope you are are really encouraged by your time with us. I'd encourage you to shuffle forward, because there is no microphone today, there's no sound system, there's no light. I've got candles here so I can hopefully read my Bible. Um, Good luck luck with that. The power company are repairing lines down I Road here, and they wrote to us and said, Look, we're letting you know that on the 2nd of October you'll have no power between 9 and 3. And we're like, September. September, September, thank you. And we were like, well, that's a little inconvenient, but nonetheless, we shall worship God. Yeah, yeah so, so thanks for singing loudly. It was really just a blessing to, to hear the voices in worship. Yeah, so it was, it was awesome. It was awesome. So happy Father's Day to all the dads. I hope you got a donut on the way in. If not, grab one on the way out. Um, D for Dad, D for Donut. That was, that was the idea. Uh, we hope that you're blessed today. We hope that your family blesses you. If you're not with family, um, then please feel free to be part of ours. Uh, Father's Day is great for those of us that are dads or have dads, but for some it's sad. Some are distant from their, their father, or some no longer have their father. Some have never had a father. But if that's you, I would encourage you that God is your father that um, whilst I still have my father living, I have found confidence and security and love in the place of God's embrace. Because he is a good father, he's a perfect father, he loves all of us. And uh, despite what Kathy thinks, we're all his favorites, not just her. And, And that just means that we can find security in that. And and I don't say that lightly because I do understand the grief of losing a parent. I understand the grief of being removed in a relationship from parents. I understand all of that very well. So I don't say lightly that God wants to be your father. He truly does. And I hope today, through what we share, through his holy scripture, that you'll see God as father. So Father's Day. Father's um, I was looking at some interesting statistics on the internet, which obviously means that must be true uh, if they're on the internet. Take a guess. Currently, the youngest person to be a father. How old? Anyone? Anyone from England? Take the prize. Someone from England? 11 years old. Uh, currently the youngest father out of England. And uh, what about the the oldest man to become a father? Uh, those of you from India can go represent for this one, because a man from India became a father. Guess, guess, which... Ninety-four. His wife was a little younger. I'm not going to say how much younger. But... Uh, Maybe dad jokes would have been better. Okay. Okay, Father's Day gifts. I don't know if you guys do Father's Day gifts, but top 10 brands listed as uh, Father's Day gifts. Number one was Apple. And I mean the product, not the fruit. Hint, hint. Number 10 on the list of top 10 was Harley Davidson. Somehow in the list of top 10, I don't know how it made the list, but some of you dads might be able to understand this. Number seven was Lego. Yes. Yes. Oh, 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 I don't know. I, I'm not going to make a comment on that because I'm just going to get in trouble. Oh, maybe for the 11-year-old dad. <laughs> okay, moving on. Many of you would have watched TV as a child and some of you would have seen fathers on TV shows and so they did some kind of survey, obviously this was really accurate because it's on the internet, and they they said which one of the dads on the TV would you like as your dad? Let me just read you some of them and we'll see if you recognise them. Pa Ingalls. What show was that Linda. There you go. I'm too young to know that. Mike Brady is from? Brady Bunch. Tim Taylor is from? Tool Time. Home Improvements. Danny Tanner? Full House, that's right. Peter Griffin? Family Guy? no. The dad of family guy, that's just really bad, gross. Uh, And Homer Simpson made the list. So some of you I can see are trying to emulate Homer Simpson. That's not good. You should not do that today. What I want to talk about is, is, um, I do want to talk about what it means to be a a father, what it means to be a man. This is a message for all of us. Uh, This is a message from God for us as his family, instructions from his word, and The truth is I am not going to encourage you to be like Homer Simpson. We are going to, however, look at um, David in the Bible. We're going to look at uh, the three faces of David. I'm going to talk about that today. Uh, And we're going to be looking at the scriptures. So find your Bible. Uh, Today would be a good day to use your phone because it is naturally lit. Uh, However, if you haven't got... If you've got a paper Bible like me, then find someone that's just got a bright personality. And... um, (laughs) I would also say that there are some knee rugs that um, one of our team will make available. If you uh, feel a little cool because the heaters aren't on today, uh, you can snuggle next to the person, the person you're next to. Uh, you're welcome to do that. We're all family. Uh, but if you need a knee rug, uh, then um, there are knee rugs up the back, and uh, if they run out, borrow someone's jacket. Here's what I want to do. We're going to, be, we're going to end up at 2 Samuel 5 if you're searching for the scripture. But what I want to do this morning is look at David and look at the man he was. I want us to look at David as a man and I want to encourage the men of all ages in our family from young to old, not just fathers, but all the men to rise in the shadow of David, to learn from the good aspects of David's life and to become a man as God designed you to be. We're going to look at the scriptures and we're going to pull out some information out of the scriptures. But here's, let me say this. This is not just a message for men. This is a message for all of us because it takes a community to support men to be men. Yeah, that's good. Wives. If you're here and you have a husband, um, then you need to listen to this so you can understand how you are to support your man that you're called to live with. Yeah, right. Children. If you're here and you have a father, regardless of your age, if you have a father, then I want you to listen as a child so that you can understand how you can allow your father to lead you as God has called him to. Friends. We're all friends. We need to understand what is necessary for us as a community to live and to speak hope and to support the men in our lives. We're all responsible for that. Because the truth is, um, speaking as a dad, I can say we need words of hope and words of encouragement. We need support. We need affirmation. And, you know, for too long, I think, there's been a swing of a pendulum the wrong way where men have become the enemy. Where even their weaknesses have been highlighted to the point where they've been torn down. The men have been torn down. And I want to speak against that today. And I want to start like that because I want to say to all of us, no one's excluded, we must take responsibility for raising up godly men in our family. All of us. No one misses out on that responsibility, because whether you're a man, you've got responsibility directly. If you're a wife or a female, you've got to encourage and support. If you're a child, you've got to allow them to lead and to speak and affirm. And if you're a part of this family, then we all need to do that in a safe way. We're all responsible for that. Let's look at David. 2 Samuel chapter 5. I just want to read you the first ten verses and then we're going to um, um, we're gonna we're gonna have a look at this. I'd actually had the Bible open at Matthew 5, because you know I thought, well we could all be light like sitting on a hill, but I'm not gonna read from that now. Second Samuel chapter five, verse one. Then all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him were your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord told you, you'll be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel. And they anointed him the king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 40 years in all. He had reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven years and six months, and from Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 more years. Verse 6. David led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who were living there. The Jebusites taunted David, saying, You'll never get in here. Even the blind and the lame could keep you out. For the Jebusites thought they were safe. But David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. On the day of the attack, David said to his troops, I hate those lame and blind Jebusites. He's playing on words there. Whoever attacks them should strike by going into the city through the water tunnel. That is the original origin of the saying, The blind and the lame may not enter the house. So David made the fortress his home and he called it the city of David. He extended the city, starting at the supporting terraces and working inward. And David became more powerful and more powerful because the Lord of heaven's armies was with him. God is going to speak to us through his word this morning. and I pray that he really blesses you as we feed on, on the scriptures. So the title of this morning's message I said is The Three Faces of David. The very first face of David that we're going to talk about is the face of a king. Everyone say, David is the face of a king. David okay, so we see David established in the scriptures, in the narrative here, as the king. David had been already a king of Judah at this point. So I don't know if you remember, but the God's people were divided in battle and war, and there was the nation called Judah, and there was a nation called Israel, and the tribes had had this kind of disagreement. And so David had been reigning over the tribe of Judah and the people of Judah for seven and a half years. And at this point, Israel comes out and invites him. So what do we see here? First thing I want you to see at the beginning, it says that the tribes of Israel came and met David at, which city? Hebron. Hebron. Okay, the word Hebron means association. You could also say that it means connected or bound together. So this meeting place that they came to was about David coming to the place where he was binding together God's people. If you got the chance to be a fly on the wall in our team meetings, our staff and intern meetings on Tuesdays, you'd hear me harping on about the importance of being bound together in strength. Because that's how God's called us to live. That's how God's ordained us to live. We've got to understand that what God forms and forges together should be locked in and unshakable. There's a power in connection. And when David came out of, out of his um, palace in Hebron to meet all the elders of Israel, remember these tribes were as far north as Dan and they were across the river where they had their inheritance, they all came to the place of association And met with David there, the elders of the tribes wanted to be bound together under God's promise. So David knows this. And David takes the appropriate action that a king would take. What else do we see? Very quickly, we see that David made a covenant with the people. Well, actually, what the word says is David cut a covenant with the people. It's a, it's a tradition, it's a Hebrew way of um, demonstrating publicly how you want to be bound to someone in agreement. And so literally why they cut a covenant, covenant is they, they take an animal and they cut it in half. And they place the two halves of the animal on the ground, and then the parties in agreement will walk between the two halves of the animal, saying publicly, should I break the solemn bond that we are making today? May it be to me as it is to this animal. I put my life on the line for this connection and this commitment, this solemn oath that I'm making publicly today before God and before the people. David took very, very seriously this agreement that he was making to bind together God's people in front of God. It says they took the oath before the Lord. There would have been a a whole lot of singing and a whole lot of worship around that, which is not captured in the text, but they were honoring the Lord in the way they made this agreement. I must say, by the way, That this is what we believe in this church family about how God's called us to live together. One of the key principles of kingdom culture that is formed in the foundations of this church is what we call covenant connection. You're here because God called you here. Now if you're new here or you're searching for a church or you're just visiting, don't take that as a pressure. Because my job as a leader in this town is to help you find the church God's calling you into. And if it's not here, it's going to be painful for you to stay here. It's going to be painful for me for you to stay here. So let me help you find the place where God's calling you to bind in connection, wherever that is. But if it's here, you better be sure you know what that means. We're not going to cut animals, don't worry. We don't have marks on our arm or special branding, although someone suggested it recently. We're not going to do that. But a covenant connection is where I choose to put my life on the line and honor before God those things He's called me into and in commitment. And David knew the significance as a king of doing that. The mantle of a king is not something that you should carry lightly. The mantle of being a man or a father is not something you should take lightly. Put your life on the line for it. What else do we see? David, uh, in verse 9, uh, relating to being a king, David made the fortress his home and he called it the city of David. And he extended the city starting at the supporting terraces and working inwards. There's a parallel um, writing that sort of tracks the life of David, um, and it's in First Chronicles. And we're going to flick between Samuel, which is our main passage, so keep your bookmark or your thumb in there, uh, and then we're going to jump across to where, where David is also recorded in First Chronicles. And in chapter 11, verse 7, First Chronicles 11, verse 7, David made the his home, that is why it's called the city of David. He extended the city from the supporting terraces to the surrounding area, while Joab rebuilt the rest of Jerusalem. And David became more and more powerful, because the Lord of heaven's armies was with him. So we're looking at the face of David. David has the face of a what? A king. A king. And so a king lives in a way that is an example to us. And I'm sort of looking at this and I'm saying, well, what's a phrase that we can remember that reminds us David had the face of a king and I too should have the face of a king. A king takes possession of God's promise. Let's say that. A king king. takes takes possession of God's promise. So we're going to have to do this today because I haven't got no slides on the screen for you to remember these things. So a king takes possession of God's promise. And I've been meditating on, on these, um, the life of David and these thoughts for, a, for, a, for some time now. And as I'm meditating, I'm thinking, okay, God, well, what does this mean for me? I'm a leader, I'm a father, I'm in the community. What are you saying to me? And I felt that, that God said to me that well, when, I, when I called you into Te Aumuru, I called you in with the mantle of a king. And please don't hear me say something I'm not saying. Because I didn't say... And I'm not trying to say that I came in here holy and righteous and you should all bow down and worship me. I didn't say that. I'm not looking for a throne on the stage where I can sit and lord it over the people. I especially don't want a crown and a robe. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is God called me in with the mantle of the king. What did he say to explain that to me? He says, Phil, you are to establish the place of authority and dominion. For that is taking possession of the promise. So you watch me, you guys that are part of our church family, you see me and I I travel here and I flick over there and I meet with these people there. Why? Because God's called me to make connections that establishes his dominion of his kingdom in the places where we have influence. That's what a king does. We've got to take that authority in the right way. You know, you you you've you've may have sat and listened here or you may have heard on the podcast about our vision and what God's calling us into. Recently I did a message called Who What Why at the end of Who What Why at the end of July. There you go. There's another dad joke. You're, allowed to, you're supposed to laugh at dad jokes on Father's Day. Who, what, why at the end of July. And in that I shared the vision and some people are like, Man, it's a little bit big, don't you think? Aren't you taking us a little bit too far? And I'm like I'm just doing what God asks because we're trying to take possession of his promise. It's what a king does. God's called us to be connected together, bound together, locked together, in agreement, in order that we would take possession of his promise. And it's a serious aspect. What does this mean for the men who are listening? as men in the house, fathers in the house. Why do the wives need to hear this? Why do the children need to hear this? Well. How do we establish this? Let's look at First Chronicles 15, verse 25. Because David gives us an example in his lifestyle. First Chronicles 15, verse 25, David and the elders of Israel and the generals of the army went into the house of Obed-Edom to bring the ark of the Lord's covenant up to Jerusalem and have great celebration. And because God was clearly helping the Levites, so it didn't go well the first time, let me just say that. Because God was clearly helping the Levites as they carried the ark, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. David was dressed in a robe. Maybe I will wear one. Uh, David was dressed in a robe of fine linen, and as were all the Levites who carried the ark, and also the singers and their choir leader. David was wearing the priestly, priestly garment. So all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant with shouts of joy, the blowing of ram's horns and trumpets, the crashing of cymbals and loud playing of harps and lyres. What is David teaching us? Even as a king, we must establish a house of worship. In your home. This is why I'm speaking not just to the men, but to the woman and to the children in your home. Establish this as a place of worship to make sure that you're not Lord, He is. Good. Put worship music on. Yeah. Pray without ceasing. Join together with your children and talk about the things that God has done and is doing in your family. Yeah, make this a place of worship. Make your home a place of worship. Host the presence of the Lord God Almighty. And in doing so, you're reflecting the face of David as a king. So the first face of David was David the king. The second face of David we're going to look at is David the warrior. Everyone say warrior. 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 David was a warrior. Let's look at Second Samuel chapter 5, our main passage, verse 6 and 7. Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Every time it starts raining, it gets really dark in here. Jesus. David then led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who were living there. The Jebusites taunted David, saying, You're not going to get in here, even the blind and the lame could keep you out. The Jebusites thought they were safe. But David captured the fortress of Zion. Which is now called the City of David. I am sure, if you have heard one or two Bible stories about David, you will understand. You will not be surprised. You may even be able to recount the the uh, instances in the Bible where we see David as a warrior. David was a kick butt kind of warrior. David was a warrior that went out, for instance, and slaughtered 200 Philistines just to satisfy the demand of his king Saul so that he could get the lady. Like, Dude's got some motive, dude's got some skill, dude's got the ability with a sword. David also, as we see, had a mighty, mighty army that were able to win many, many battles. How did David become such a powerful warrior? The Bible tells us, Second Samuel, Chapter 18. Sorry, 1 Samuel, chapter 18, verse 14. 1 Samuel 18, verse 14. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. Imagine that. Going into a battle going, the Lord is with me, we cannot lose. Well, some of you might think that's a good idea. That's how we're supposed to live. As representatives of our Father in heaven. David had the Lord with him, and he succeeded in all he did. How the heck did that happen? Well, I like to read the Bible backwards to see the, the, the cause of the effect that we just read. Yeah, good. So flick the page backwards. 1 Samuel 17 from verse 45, which is in the middle of the confrontation with a big ugly guy called who? Goliath. Goliath. David, a teenage boy, perhaps no more than 15 runs out in front of this giant and says this. David replied to the Philistine Goliath, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will cut your head off. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword or spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. This is why David was such a mighty, mighty warrior. Because he's standing in the face of defiance, and curses against the name of his God and he's willing to stand there and say, you will be defeated. That's awesome. So good. What gives him the gumption to do that? I mean, is he stupid? Well, let's read backwards. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. First Samuel 16, verse 13. We just see the cause of the effect that we just read. David stood among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil. Samuel's the prophet. He's a representative of God in those days. Samuel took the flask of oil. He had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And Samuel returned home. Why was David such a mighty warrior? Because he carried with him the Spirit of the Lord that took him into battle with the faith to believe that God would win the victory for him. Isn't that amazing for David? Some of you are not sure. You're worried where this is going. The honest truth is Ken, you carry the Spirit of God. You're a mighty man of God. Same with you Phil. Same with you Tom and and Chris and all you men carry the Spirit of God so that you can stand in the face of defiance and go you know what? The Lord is with me and you are going to be defeated. So good. We've got to rise up. Come on. Yeah. Why is God saying this to us? Because he wants us to learn to be like David. Yeah, to have the face of a warrior. There's another thing that David shows us that I just can't avoid. First Chronicles chapter 12, if you're taking notes, don't read it. It'll put you to sleep. But it's a list of names. It's a list of names of the men called the mighty men of David who stood beside him. Why was David so powerful and mighty in victory against the opposition of God? Because David stood with mighty men. What is God saying to us? Men, you must stand with mighty men. You must rise together and be connected to win the battle that the Lord has before us. Look at the way that they treat David. like second. 1 uh, Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 38. These men came in battle array. That means they dressed up ready for a fight. They got themselves ready. They dressed up with the single purpose of making David the king. In fact, everyone agreed that they should do that. They came together prepared and in agreement. Significant. Yeah. Do you come to church prepared and in an agreement? I don't know but I'm just saying what the Bible says. Look at what happens over in First Chronicles 12. Just go backwards a little bit. Uh, verse 18. The Spirit, capital S, meaning the Spirit of God, came across upon Amasai, the leader of the 30 mighty men, and he said, We are yours, David. We're on your side, son of Jesse. Peace and prosperity be with you, and success to all who help you, for your God is the one who helps us. Confession. Of agreement and standing together. This is what men are called to do. When men get isolated, men get in trouble. Rise up with mighty men in agreement and you will be victorious. What is David showing us? One simple statement for you to remember about a warrior. A warrior fights to protect and advance. Say it with me. A warrior warrior. fights and protects to advance. That's what David is teaching us. And I've been meditating on this because I'm wondering, what does this mean? Why is God speaking to me? Because he speaks to me well before I have to bring something to you. And if you were in church last Sunday, the incredible atmosphere we had with kids marching around in the armor of God and the worship that rose up at the end of the service and the atmosphere of, of faithful victory, you know, you've got to understand, as a church, we're in a battle. It's reality. We recognize that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we're called to fight against principalities and powers and dark forces that seek to destroy us, to divert us, or to divide us. Yeah. We're in war, people. It's reality. We've got, to, we've got to understand that. And God said to me, just in case you're interested, you're the pastor, you don't get out of it. No option. Stand up. Lead the army. He says, Phil, you're called to lead the army into victory. He didn't say lead them into the confrontation. He said, Phil, lead the people into victory so they can possess the promise. This is what a warrior does. So if men in the church are called to have the face of a warrior, what does that mean? What does it mean for the men who are listening to this message? Men, you've got to fight against those things that seek to destroy your family. You must, you must fight against those things that would destroy your family. Men, it's necessary for you to stand on behalf of your family. Just a side note. I'm not going to jump into it now, but again, it's got to be said. David's a great example in many cases. But there's an instance... And I'll give you the reference in case you want to go and find it. Um, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 13. We're not going to go there. But it's where one of David's sons rapes his sister. And David does nothing about it. Let that be a warning to us. Not to allow sin in our home because of our lack of action. Fight for the purity of your home David failed but as a warrior we've got to rise up okay why do I say all this we've got to have the face of a warrior we've got to rise we've got to call people out to rise and pray to intercede and fight on behalf of our family, this is our family or a representative of our family when one goes down we better circle around them But do you know what happens? you know what happens when I call for prayer? And I say, come on, we've got to fight, we've got to intercede, we've got to get together. I look around me, and what do I see? Women. Thank you, women. But that's not good enough. Where are the men? Hiding. Maybe I'm too busy. Maybe I'm too tired. Maybe I've got so much on my plate. Maybe I'll stay at home and look after the kids and you go out and have a night with your friends. So I'm leading women into battle. Don't take that the wrong way, woman. I love having you beside me. But what I'm not willing to accept is the absence of the men who are called to be warriors. Yeah, men, you've got to rise up. We need you. Your family needs you. Some of you men have to take your manhood out of your wife's handbag. And then that's a word to some of you. Serious word. I'm not joking when I say that. Women, some of you need to let your men be men. Seriously. Because why? Because the family needs it that way. That's the way God designed us to live with the face of a warrior. And if you're passive, you better Repent. Before God, not me, before God. And he is going to change things. Because we've got men in this family, with the face of a king, with the face of a warrior. And thirdly, we're going to have men with the face of a shepherd. King? Say it. King? David. Warrior? warrior. Shepherd. shepherd. David had the face of a shepherd. Let's go back to our primary passage. First Second Samuel chapter 5, right at the beginning. We kind of skipped over it on purpose, but let's make sure we don't miss it. All the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, wear your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the only one that really led us into the forces of Israel. And the Lord said to you, note this, you will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. God calls David to the place of leadership as a shepherd. Now, I was studying this, and the honest truth is, in the research I did in the scriptures and in the research texts, I can't actually find anywhere in the Bible where God actually said those words. Nowhere. But it's implied a king is a shepherd. King is a leader who gathers and protects, who fights. We're going to look at this. But there's a little bit of a clue there because um, you remember when David was anointed as a young boy, we just referred to the end of that story. When Samuel came to his house to anoint the next king of Israel, all the brothers came forward, didn't they? And the prophet looked at Eliab, the tall, handsome one, the eldest, and said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. It wasn't. One by one, the brothers came forward and God said, no, 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 not these ones. Where was David? Tending the sheep. There's a clue there for us. David was a shepherd in those days. So, not a lot of evidence to look for Uh, in the text before this point. But I did find something afterwards. Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel is a prophetic book, so Ezekiel is a prophet speaking the words of God to God's people, including us. And near the end of Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 22 to 24, we read this. The Lord says, so Ezekiel's writing, but God's speaking. I will rescue my flock and they will no longer be abused. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he will feed them and be a shepherd to them. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be a prince among my people. I, the Lord, have spoken. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh. it's telling us David is the shepherd, but actually it's not. Because this is a prophetic book speaking about the great shepherd. And what he's actually saying is, David's not the shepherd of my people, but a branch of David will be the shepherd. Referring to who? Jesus. Jesus the Messiah. So out of David will come one who will be the great shepherd. And he, actually, he, being the great shepherd, speaks about this in John chapter 10. Because you know what God's saying to us? We have to look to Jesus to learn how to be a shepherd. We can look to David, and we will, because he fought some battles, kicked some butt. When the bear came, what did he do? Killed it. When the lion came, what did he do? Killed it. Why? Protect the sheep. Why? Because his father asked him to. But Jesus, the great shepherd, talks about this in John chapter 10, because this is so important for us. Don't, Don't think this is a distraction. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. And Jesus is the one we should look to. Jesus is the one we should learn about. Jesus is the one we should understand more greatly. So let's look. John chapter 10, verse 11 to 16. It's always good to read the Bible, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. (coughs) I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. He's talking to us as his children. Who must have the face of a shepherd? Put in context of the message. Jesus is giving us instruction around wearing the face of a shepherd. This is important for us. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming, he will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money. He doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. David gives us an example of a shepherd, but God is pointing us through the scripture to Jesus, the great shepherd. What is God saying to me as a pastor, as he takes me through these scriptures of revelation? We must point people to Jesus. Men, point your children to Jesus. Take care of them. They know your voice point them to Jesus. Let me also say this. Jesus is not our natural father by DNA but he's the good shepherd who protects us. He's an example of what I call a spiritual father and he's the best example. Why am I saying that? Because in a family like this We're trying to raise up spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. It's not about DNA. It's not about looking across the church and going, well, man, they've got problems. I hope they sort it out because they're embarrassing me. Be part of the solution because you're part of the family. Be a spiritual mum. Be a spiritual dad. I had a, a coffee with a friend in Hamilton this week and we were talking about church and the dynamics of church and we agreed. That God is calling the church, little c, meaning all of us, into a season where he's trying to raise up spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers because of what he sees coming. God is not, he's not distracted, he's very strategic and if he's raising up spiritual fathers and mothers there's a reason he's doing that. And we should align ourselves in obedience even though we can't see why. Fathers take care of young ones as a shepherd takes care of sheep. Be like David who fights off the bear and the lion. Be like David who stands in defiance of anything that comes against his family. If I could also say this. It's really, really important that you don't limit your ability to receive love because of a bad example previously. One of the things that I bump into in ministry when I'm you know, praying with people, ministering to their pain and brokenness, is it's, it's really common for me to discover people who are not able to receive God's love because they were given a bad example growing up. And all that does is block what God's trying to give you. So there's two sides to this. And I'm speaking to myself when I say this. We must, one, first and foremost, most importantly, learn to be loved. So that we can learn to love. It's really, really important. Really important. If I could get the musicians to come and join me. Someone better go find Ashley. Jesus says in the scriptures, a good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Shepherd is all about care. Understand this. This is the key phrase that I wrote down for shepherds. A shepherd feeds, cares for, and protects. Let's say it together. A shepherd feeds and cares and protects. That's what we do. So we wear the face of a king. Where we take possession of God's promise. We wear the face of a warrior. Where we learn to fight for and lead people into the advancement towards that promise. And as a shepherd, we must learn to feed people around us, to care for them and to protect them. Because that's what a shepherd does. Men, I'm I'm, I'm calling you out today. You're the focus of the message. But as a family, we all need to hear it and receive it. Because if the men rise up, they need the women and the children supporting them. Okay, It's not a message for one, it's a message for all. But men, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you into the place where you would rise in the shadow of David as our example, who points us to Jesus, and you'd learn to be a king in your home. You'd be a king that leads your family into the promises of God. You'd be a warrior that gets on your knees to fight whenever necessary. And you'd be a shepherd that cares for and nurtures and protects. That's what God's calling you into today on Father's Day. One of the things that is um, essential for that to happen is that men particularly would do this from a place of receiving the Father's love. And the honest truth is, most men, rubbish at receiving it. They think they've got to be strong and tough and that means they can't get on their knees. They think they've they've got to be a good example and that means they shouldn't respond and cry at the altar. They maybe think they've got to take care of the kids to let their wife have have a good time at church. Not today. Today, God's calling men out to respond in humility to his love. And all I I think he wants to do is to love on you, just to release his love. You know, I'd love to anoint you with oil. Why? Because David was anointed with oil. When David was anointed with oil, 1 Samuel 16, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him powerfully. From that moment. From that moment he wore the face of a king, warrior, and a shepherd. So we're gonna we're gonna just get the band to lead us. We're gonna sing quietly, we're gonna have a time where we just sit and soak in the presence of God. You can join the band, they're gonna sing Good Good Father again. But I'm particularly calling men out to come and I'll get some of the elders to come and stand with me to just to anoint and bless. And and allow a space. For God to love you as a father. Okay? Let me pray a blessing. If you need to go because of uh, other parts of your day, then please do that quietly. Don't forget your kids. Um, We have a time where we soak in the presence of God, the love of God, and receive what He's got for us. Almighty God, I declare your blessing over your family. Today as they celebrate Father's Day, would they come together in a strong union and connection, this bond that you've forged in their household, wherever they are. God, you know, even in the absence of a male in the house, God says, I am there as your father. Yeah. May there be a revelation of that today, a healing and a restoration, affirmation of identity and purpose, a release of love as a revelation from heaven. God, I bless your people in the precious, precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. I commission them to go, carrying the Spirit of God, anointed for great things in the home and in the community. May they represent you well. Your light into this community. I bless them. In your precious name, amen. Men, if you want to come, we want to bless you.